These are people in the biblical account of Jesus' life and death that we need to see. First, I want to talk about Judas, the one who betrayed our Savior, the one who betrayed Jesus. I want to look at the story of Judas, and I want to look from maybe a different set of lenses, perhaps shed some light on this man that you have previously looked at Otherwise, Maybe you have looked at him, this one who most infamously known for his betrayal of Jesus. And I want to suggest to you later that the greatest mistake of his life was not the betrayal of Jesus. Some of you would say that's the obvious thing. He walked away from the Lord. He betrayed the Lord. But I want you to see that's not the worst thing that Judas did. Now, as we consider Judas, before we come to our passage of Scripture for the day, it's easy for you and me to picture Judas as some dark-eyed villain. We look at him and say his soul was dark and he was an evil man. He was a, a despicable man. We know what he did for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And we look at Judas and we look at him and we point fingers toward him and say this man was simply evil. But the reality is... If you and I were chosen to pick which one of the disciples would have betrayed Jesus, you couldn't do it. And the reason I say that is because they couldn't either. Do you remember the scene just before Jesus is to go and face his trial and then ultimately his crucifixion? He gathers his disciples together at a table. And at that table, he says, one of you will betray me. And what do they begin to say to one another and to Jesus? Lord, is it Judas? No, they didn't say that. Now, you and I think that way. We think they would have said, oh, it's got to be him. You know he's pretty shady. We've known things about Judas. We don't like Judas. And you and I read backwards into the story all that we know about his betrayal, and we say, I could have spotted him, but they did not know. Think about that with me. These are real people in a real setting. Don't lose sight of it. Jesus gathers with his disciples, and they say, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Their hearts began to stir. Could it be me? Could I be the one that would betray him? They didn't know. Now let's think for a moment about Judas, this man. He was a man of great privilege. I mean, as a matter of fact, he walked with Jesus himself. He was one of 12 human beings in all of history that Jesus chose to be a companion. Jesus even used this language. He, he said he called them to be with him and to be his friends. So Jesus called Judas a friend. Jesus, Jesus liked Judas. He loved Judas. They would have shared a meal together on occasion laughing together, stories together. Judas was a man who was a part of ministry. He was privileged. In fact, not only was he privileged to be chosen by Jesus, a friend, one that would be with Jesus, he was also a man who was given responsibilities in the, the company of Jesus, was he not? What did Judas do for the disciples? Anybody know? He was the treasurer. He kept the money. We know that from several occasions. Here's what we know. There were some who would give money to the ministry of Jesus and the disciples to support them, and Judas was given charge over it. Now, I don't know all of the reasons why. I do know this. If you give the wrong person the wrong job, it can be disastrous. Would you agree? That was about four of you. Would you agree? It's, if you give the wrong person the wrong job, it's a bad thing, correct? 
on our staff, there are certain members of our staff I cannot give certain jobs to. Ken Hopkins is never allowed to be the one to watch over the chocolate chip cookies. It is not a good idea. Now think about it. Had Peter been given the treasury, Peter was so impulsive, he would have found some project and he would have probably run out and blown all the money. John, the compassionate one, the beloved disciple, he probably would have given away the farm. Somebody would have said, I need some help. Well, here's all the money. Judas had something about him that made him right for this job, his temperament, and he took on the job as treasurer. Now, we know that that will become for him a downfall, and we will look at that together in a moment as we get to our text. But I want you to see this about Judas. Judas was a man who walked with Jesus, alongside Jesus. He was a man who was given responsibilities in the presence of Jesus. Interesting to think about those things. I also want you to see this. Beyond his privilege and his responsibility as a follower, he was one who was given authority to do ministry. If you were to look with me in Matthew chapter 10, you would see this. You don't have to turn there. Your finger should be in Matthew 27. But in Matthew 10, the Bible says that Jesus sent them out. He summoned his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's verse 1 of Matthew 10. Verse 2 then names the disciples, all of them, all 12, including, as it says, Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus. He's a man who walked with Jesus, who has responsibility in the company of Jesus, and who has authority and gifts for ministry. As we paint that kind of a picture of this man, Pastor Colin Smith said this. He said, doubtless, God used Judas to release other people from the power of Satan. That's a thought many of you have never, ever entertained. There will doubtless be people in heaven that say, I came to faith under the ministry of Judas Iscariot. Isn't that unique? Now, I want you to see a statement I want to put on the screen, and we need to hear together. The life of Judas warns us about becoming complacent in our privileges. You and I who are church-going people, You and I who are a part of this gathering here, Hardy Street Baptist Church, or perhaps you're part of another gathering and you've come to visit family. There's a real danger that you and I can walk alongside Jesus, be given responsibilities in church and in ministry, be given gifts and abilities, and still walk away from the Lord. In fact, let me just get a little audience participation. I know the choir will help me out. You answer these questions with me. Are you, I'm asking individually, Are you known as a follower of Jesus, yes or no? I'm asking you. This is your answer. Have you been entrusted with some responsibility in the church? Many of you would say yes. Have you ever been given gifts for ministry? Boy, that got quiet. Choir, y'all are gifted. If I could sing like about half of this choir, there would be two of me up here because you couldn't stand. I would be beside myself. I love some of your gifts. Y'all are gifted. The reality is, if you can say yes to any of those things, you better be careful because Judas could say yes to all of them. All of those were true of this man, Judas. 
It begins to make me stop and think, you better be careful because Judas crashed and burned. Now, some of you might say, as we consider him, I, I will get to our text, I promise, but as we think about it, you say, well, Judas couldn't help himself. The Old Testament prophesied one would betray Jesus, so he was sort of pre-programmed. He, he had no choice in the matter. If you believe that, I believe with all of my heart that you need to rethink the story of the Bible. You see, we become comfortable thinking this way. Our our moral choices are not what save us, so somehow we think our choices don't matter, but you better believe your choices matter. Judas was a man who started out after ministry and took a radical departure. He was not swept up robotically in the role that he had to play. Judas made choices. The, the story of Judas is not the story of an unfortunate robot, a man programmed to betray Jesus. It's a story of a man who was greatly used by God but lost his way through a series of terrible choices. Now, I, I want to set up the stage a little bit further before we get into our second of the two men wrapped in darkness. As we think about Judas, I don't know why exactly he made his turn. Maybe he was a zealot. Maybe he was a revolutionary. Maybe Judas wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome, and he wanted power. Maybe he was power hungry. The Bible only gives to us one flaw of this man, Judas. It was the love of money. Six days prior, Jesus comes into Bethany. They're having a dinner in his honor. You know the story. Mary comes in with a pound of nard. Nard is a very expensive perfume. And she broke it and she uh, anointed Jesus' feet and she washed his feet with the nard. And Judas became incensed over this. The Bible says that it was worth a year's wages. I don't know what that means to you. A year's wages may mean $20,000. It may mean $20 million. I, I don't know what that means to you, but a year's wages is a lot. And Judas, as the one who was the treasurer, was incensed at this waste. Now, we learn from John exactly why. John said this. John called him out. John said, Judas asked the question, why was that not sold and given to the poor? And John said, Judas didn't ask that question because he was concerned about the poor. Judas asked that question because he was pilfering. He was a thief. He was skimming off the top. And if you are the treasurer and you're skimming off the top, then you want to maximize the treasury. You want to get all that you possibly can have access to to steal from. And so Judas looked at this as a wasted opportunity. It made me think about other opportunities. I imagine when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Judas probably saw that as opportunity. The rich young ruler comes into the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, sell off everything you have and give it to the poor. And Judas is standing in the wings and says, wait, that's the business I'm in. I'm the treasurer. I give to the poor. Why don't you go sell all that stuff just like Jesus said and bring it back here? And Jesus let him walk away. Judas was probably incensed at that point with Jesus. I mean, he saw this as a great money-making opportunity. He started out well in ministry, but he began to love money more and more and, and ministry less and less. The more consumed he was with money, the less concerned he was with Jesus. Oh, I imagine the same thing happened with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, if I've defrauded anyone, I will pay back fourfold. And Judas's ears perked up. Fourfold sounds pretty good to me. 
I'll take my cut right off the top. Interesting. The Bible tells us that it was right after the incident of the nard that Satan entered into the heart of Judas. Interesting, it, it says that that was the point when we begin to see plotting in his heart to go to the temple priest and to the leaders. And this final straw for Judas led him to the place of longing for other things. In fact, I want you to see this. This was the final straw for Judas. When we don't properly treasure Christ, we will treasure other things improperly. Let me say it this way. The human heart is a perpetual forge for idol making. Your heart, my heart, they're idol factories, John Calvin said. You see, Judas started out saying, I can walk with Jesus and make money. And when he could no longer make money off of Jesus, or when he realized that that was not going to be the case, then he said, I'll make money from Jesus. And he set out in his heart to betray him. He set out in his heart to go to the temple leaders. You see, he said, my life is about service to you, Jesus. And then he said, my life is about walking with you and making money. And if Jesus wasn't going to make some money for him, then he was going to make money from Jesus. And this train wreck was all over a greedy heart. He, he selfishly set his sights on what he could get. Now, some of you, hold on with me. You say, this is the strangest Easter message I've ever heard in my life. I'm warning you about the worst mistake you can possibly make. And it's not just falling in love with money. It's not the betrayal of Jesus. I believe there's something deeper going on. Now, one more step in the life of Judas. Can you imagine with me? He's done the deal. He's made the trade. He's got 30 pieces of silver in his hand. And he comes to what we know as the Last Supper. Jesus begins to wash his feet. Surely he is riddled with some sense of guilt and anguish and anxiety. I mean, he's got to be thinking, Jesus doesn't know. Jesus doesn't. There's no way he would wash my feet if he knew what I had done. And the reality is some of you in here are pushing back on the love of Jesus. You're saying, there's no way Jesus could know all that I've done. Otherwise, he wouldn't love me. And many of you are saying, I know he can't love me because he probably does know what I've done. Judas is in that kind of the dilemma. And he pushes back, and he even lies to cover his tracks. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And Judas says, certainly, Lord, it will not be I. And Jesus takes bread and breaks it and says, the one to whom I give the bread is the one who will betray me. And Judas takes the bread. Another moment of decision, and at that point, he takes the bread. Here is a man who has walked with Jesus, privileged to serve with responsibility, gifted to serve, and he's made choice after choice after choice to walk away from, to push back on the love of Jesus. Interesting character, indeed. It brings us forward, moving us to this place where we need to say a couple of things before, right before we get to our text. I would say this. For the second time in the gospel story, when he took the bread, we see that Satan entered into his heart again. I would say don't give Satan keys to the door of your life. Don't give him opportunities to get in. Don't go down tracks where you will meet him. 
I hear story after story of people who wander away from God and they say, I never, ever meant to go that far. I never meant to to veer away that way. Students, I want to speak to you. Recognize that every choice matters in your life. Interesting. Some people might ask the question, what does this do for eternal security? What does this do for once saved, always saved? I mean, now we see him walking away, Satan entering his heart. Here's what I would say to you, and this is very, very indicting for all of us. The Bible makes no promise of eternal security for those who live according to sinful nature. The Bible makes the promise of eternal security for those who have waged war on the sinful nature. Such people Christ keeps and brings through the battle. I believe with all of my heart, once saved, always saved. But I believe it this way. Put it on the screen. Once saved, you're always saved. Jesus gives eternal life. And here is the danger. It is so easy to walk into church and to say, I made a decision. I walked down an aisle. I prayed a prayer. But I'm going to live how I want to. And Judas is that picture. He walked with Jesus and he walked away. And many of you perhaps are dangerously close to thinking in your heart and in your mind you're okay because you've gone through some religious experience or exercise. And I would call you today to the second man. I would call you to the life of this man, Peter. You see, both of these men were surrounded in darkness during these days. Both of these men were struggling. Let me tell you, well, I've kept you long enough there. Let's go to our text. Matthew 27, beginning verse 1. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. And then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned... He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and he hanged himself. Here's what I want you to see. The greatest mistake that Judas made was not betraying Jesus. The greatest mistake that Judas made was giving up hope. Hear that. The greatest mistake he made was giving up hope. The greatest mistake that you can make this morning is to give up hope. Hope. I'm talking about biblical hope. We'll see that in a moment. The idea that he betrayed him, there was still time for him to return. There was still a place for him to come back. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, we see him do an amazing thing. We see a full confession. Look at the words with me. He literally said, I have done this. I have sinned. I own it. I have betrayed innocent blood. Perhaps at this point he wanted to save Jesus. He said he saw Jesus condemned and felt great remorse. Remorse is not good enough. Listen to this. Confession does not equal conversion. Some of you have felt horribly guilty over things you've done in your life and you may have even confessed them. I did this. That's not enough. Judas felt great remorse. He confessed it and he walked away anyway. He gave up hope. The ultimate tragedy. Now, consider with me for just a moment this man Peter. 
Think with me about Peter. The night before all this is taking place, Peter had been standing outside the house of the high priest. Jesus is inside being mocked and beaten and interrogated. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy now, who hit you? And they plucked out his beard. They'd spit upon him. They had done all kinds of manner of torture and they're pushing and pressing on Jesus and Peter on the outside with grating, greater and greater intensifying focus denied the Lord. Jesus told him it would happen. I don't know that man. I'm not associated with that man. He even called down curses upon himself and and in, in blasphemous terms denied Jesus. The gospel writer gives us a picture of Jesus being dragged back out into the courtyard and as he comes across the courtyard, he and Peter lock eyes and the rooster crows and Peter realizes that he's denied the Lord over and over and over again. And the Bible says something interesting. It says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. So we see two two men standing in darkness, surrounded by despair, disgust. They've both denied the Lord. They've both betrayed their friend. Yet one turns to life and one turns to death. And that's what I want you to see this morning. All of the buildup, all of the introduction is to take us back to this place. We're back to where we started. Judas who betrayed and Peter who denied, but there's a great difference in the two. Here's the difference. Judas was filled with remorse. Peter found repentance. You say, Pastor, what is the difference in remorse and repentance? I'm so glad you asked this Easter Sunday morning. Remorse says this. Remorse says, I have wasted my life. Can you hear that in the voice of Judas? He said, wait, I I didn't mean for him to be condemned. He's innocent. If I can only go back and testify, I don't want this money anymore. Please, I I pray that he would be set free. And he had a a longing because of his remorse, his guilt. I want to make this right. I want to turn back the clock. I've wasted my life. And he threw the money down and he went out and he hanged himself. But repentance looks to Christ and says, I'll give you my life. I have no other place to turn. I have made a mess of things. I have ruined things. I have wrecked my life. Oh, but there's hope in Jesus. And Peter found that and Judas did not. And so that's the question for you and for me today. Will you be like Peter? Or will you be like Judas? Will you find yourself in a place of repentance? Hear this, church. Repentance is more than feeling guilty. It's more than saying I did it. It's more than feeling I'm sorry. It's more than feeling sad for getting caught. It's more than wanting to turn back the clock and undo whatever it is you've done. Repentance is turning to Jesus Christ in the midst of your sorrow and that's where hope is found. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes about this and he lays it out in perfect parallel. He says that godly sorrow, the kind of sorrow that God longs for, repentant sorrow, leads to salvation. And worldly sorrow leads to destruction. Some of you will walk out of this place today feeling guilty over something you've done and never look to the remedy and you've given up hope. Maybe you're trying to defer hope. Here's what I would say. Hope is available today only in Jesus Christ. The only source of hope for our soul. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to shame and regret. 
Whatever you've done this morning, don't wallow or don't wallow around in despair and self-condemnation. That's giving up hope. Repentance is to take ownership of what you've done by turning to Jesus in whom we have hope. There's the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter repented, Judas despaired. You know the incredible thing? As we stand here on an Easter, a resurrection Sunday, Peter is in this place of weeping bitterly, but it was only two days later after that point that Jesus rose from the grave and Peter saw him and he experienced life. He experienced hope. He experienced joy beyond a measure. And where was Judas at that moment? Judas did not experience the power of the resurrection because of his worldly sorrow and giving up hope, he walked away. Here's what I would say to you this morning. Don't give up hope before it is too late. Trust him. Turn to Him in your full confident assurance that your hope is found in Jesus alone. That's your choice today. To turn in on yourself and say, I've wasted my life and then be enclosed in darkness or to look up to Jesus and say, with all my mistakes, with all of my choices, with all of my failures, Jesus, I come to You. Take it. Take my life. Take it like a potter would take a piece of clay. There is hope in Jesus today. You can turn in or you can look up. Now, I I would imagine that somebody would want to take me to a task. Some Bible scholar would say, are you saying to me, Pastor, that Judas could have been saved, could have been forgiven? Yes. Jesus went to the cross to save sinners. Jesus went to the cross for those thugs that nailed him there. Jesus went to the cross for those arrogant priests and temple leaders, the religious leaders who wanted him destroyed. Jesus went to the cross for a blaspheming disciple named Peter. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And had Judas come to the place of saying, Lord, take my life, he would have been gloriously, radically saved in the hope of Jesus. He's ready to forgive you today. And the tragedy of Judas is that he never came to Jesus. For you and me, Christ is ready to forgive. All who will come in repentance. Church family, just put your pew belt on for a moment. Never should we give up hope. Why? Because the cross is big enough to cover your sin. The blood of Jesus is rich enough to cleanse your guilt. The love of Jesus is strong enough to reach you right where you are. And the power of Jesus is enough to give you eternal life. If that's not enough to make us shout, I don't know what is. Now, I, I want to make sure that you hear this. I'm calling upon you to action this day. I realize it's Easter. You have other plans, family plans. But the most important thing you can do is consider this one word, hope. Are you living in hope that springs from the resurrection? Come to Him. Believe in Him. Find your hope in Him. There is not one reason for any one person in the sound of my voice to leave this place without hope. That may be the best thing I've said as a pastor ever here in this church. There is not one single solitary reason for one person to walk out of here without hope. Let me say a word to some of you that are nearing perhaps a season of your life where you've lived more decades behind than are ahead. 
It's never too late. This side of eternity. And you're not too bad. Some of you may say, well, I've walked without the Lord for 50, 60, 70 years, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. You you say, I'm too bad. I, I would take you back to the cross. A condemned thief in the 59th minute of the 11th hour of his life cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus saved that man. You may be on your last days or in your last days. You may be close to your last breath. You can cry out to Jesus. Use that breath today to turn to him. There's hope. There's no one here beyond the scope. If you think you're too bad to be saved, you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. You don't know my Jesus. How arrogant is it to say that I can sin so powerfully that God cannot cleanse? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He saved that man. It's not too late and you're not too bad. There's a day that it will be too late. I I share that not for any other reason but to say place your hope in Jesus today. The Lord Jesus Christ died to save you. He rose victoriously and he stands ready to welcome you. He calls on you and me to believe him today. He invites all of us right now to place our trust in his death for our life. He offers to each and every one of you eternal life, everlasting life. Believe in him. Trust in him. Turn to him. Put your faith in him. Ask him to save you. It's never too late. I'll wrap up with this story. Yesterday was April 15th. April 15th is normally known for certain things that we don't like to talk about. Taxes. April 15th is an anniversary of something that is intriguing. 102 years ago, the icy waters of the Atlantic, a ship went down, the Titanic. There was a Scottish pastor named John Harper on the Titanic. Anyone ever heard the story of John Harper? Good, then I'm going to tell it. Had all of you raised your hands, I'd still tell it. John Harper was on his way to preach at Moody Church in Chicago from England. John Harper was a a flaming evangelist. He loved to tell people about Jesus. And when the ship went down into the water, he began to swim in those icy waters from person to person to person, crying out. They said you could hear the ringing out of his voice, repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Trust in the Lord and be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Come to him. Trust him, believe in him, have faith in him. He died for you and he'll give you life. He swam from person to person to person. He found a man who was huddled on a piece of wood hanging on and John Harper went to that man and he grabbed him by the lapels of his jacket and he said, are you saved? And the man said, get away from me. No, I want nothing of this Jesus. And he started to swim away and he stopped and he pulled his life jacket off and he gave it to that man and he said, you need this more than I. Repent for Jesus will save you and he swam off into the darkness the man said he longed for Harper to come back he was so convicted it cut him to the quick 
he swam back to the man later on. And as Harper was finally giving way to the frigid waters and his lungs were just about to give out, he said, Brother, would you trust Jesus today? And the man said, Yes, I need Jesus. Now you say, how in the world would you know that story? How in the world? Surely that is a romanticized fable. That man spoke over and over and over and over again in churches, calling himself the last convert of John Harper. John Harper spent every breath of his life telling people the most important thing in the world is this, in Jesus there is hope. You see, the message of Easter is not that people are dying and going to hell. You know that. The message of Jesus and the message of Easter is a message that simply rings true. There's hope in Christ. The greatest mistake you can make today is to give up hope. Trust the Lord today. Maybe you've been walking in this church for a long time. Judas walked with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been a responsible party. Maybe you've taught Sunday school, sang in the choir. Well, our choir, they're all saved. They gotta be. Now, who knows? Maybe you've sung in the choir and you've never trusted Jesus. I don't need to make light of that. Trust the Lord. Don't give up on hope. Hope springs today from an invitation for you to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the great privilege we have of knowing you and your resurrection power through Jesus Christ. I pray that today through this time of invitation, some would come this very day and be saved gloriously, radically, placing their faith in Jesus alone. God, there are many who feel remorse, but I pray that they would draw from that to a place of repentance. And I pray it in your power. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.